this is where this combo of like um, Bert Latrain, the famous spacecraft designer, su suggested that the ideal spacecraft, the very best one, would allow a naked human being to operate it. Why? Because the naked human being is a friggin' creature that has all this background of being just fine in its own container. Boom. So just give it a place to wander around and be comfortable in its own environment. And now you have a long-term space vehicle or if you happen to be grounded here on Earth with all of us, a long-time space vehicle on Earth. So get to know your body. Understand it as best you can. Bring it back into the incredible, resilient, self-forming system that it is. And try to figure out how to keep that sucker tuned because the payout is an endless barrage of monologues like this one. <laughs> that, my friend, was Barefoot Ted. And this is the Inspiration Runners Podcast. Hey everyone, hope you're all well. My name's Robbie Marsh and I'm your host, so welcome to the podcast. Really don't know how to introduce my next guest. He first featured in arguably the best-selling and most inspiring runner book of all time, Born to Run. I remember reading about the Tara Humara, totally opened up my mind to what was humanly possible and made me challenge my own limits. Ted McDonald's, aka Barefoot Ted, inspired a nation and very soon after the book Born to Run was released, there was a movement in Barefoot Running which Ted was very much a part of. He's an exceptional runner and has now moved into an amazing space in life. He has enough positive energy flowing through him to heal the universe. As most of you know, I am transitioning to a new recording app and unfortunately we had our teething issues during this episode. I had really challenging audio feedback, hence you won't feel like I'm flowing like I usually do, but luckily this was Ted, so he did most of the talking. I know it's not perfect, I had a choice to spend my day cleaning up the audio and editing it, or going for a mountain run, so although this is full of gremlins, I made the same choice most of you out there listening would have done, and I went for a four hour mountain run instead. And boy did I flow after listening to Ted for 90 minutes. Hopefully you can look past the gremlins and just pull out what the wise one has to tell us. It's with great pleasure I give you Barefoot Ted, the wise one. Ted, I don't know where you've been all my life. Well, we've been all here on the same planet the whole time, amigo. So we've been gathering up a crap ton of adventures and experiences, some good, some bad, some indifferent, but ultimately... All of that stuff we've packed in the pipe of ourselves is going to get smoked up right now. And I mean, in a positive way, obviously, in the, uh, but, uh, yeah, we've been on the same planet, uh, pretty much sharing the same world. And, um, ultimately we're capable at any moment to come to the same conclusion, which is, Hey man, I'm pretty damn happy. Regardless of all the things that have happened in this planet, when you can, just like a good hunting dog, finally have access to a little bit of freedom and the right kind of food and the right kind of movement and the right kind of, holy crap, there's not, you start understanding that this very, very low density, I mean, we don't really procreate that fast compared to half the other critters. And, but ultimately we kept voting with our lives to still be here on this planet, despite all the crazy shenanigans that human beings have been up to since the beginning of time, man. Yeah, we're doing our best. And here we are. So I'm, 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 I could say, where have you been all my life? And I guess in the end, we've been right here all the time. So let's, 
let's catch up with ourselves and see what the hell we have to say about all this. Yeah, I think this meeting should have happened. It's a bit three years too late for me. I have feet issues on both of my feet. I have a neuroma in my left foot and a hammer toe on my right foot. And why this conversation is going to be so relevant, um, after two years, the pennies dropped that my shoes have been too tight. And they've been strangling my feet. And now my beautiful running career that allows my body and my presence to be free um, is slightly caged. I uh, heard it a million times, you know. Uh, I mean, there is no, you know, one of the things that, you know, I guess the, we can get right into it. But, you know, the book Born to Run obviously opened a lot of people's eyes to at least this new glimpse of what is possible as being if you were born happen to be born a human being i mean we had been sort of down an interesting corridor of like differently abled human beings and for, and, and uh, you know I, I can't say i'm not an luddite i'm fascinated by high technology and greats anything that can reduce suffering and improve quality of life there's no i don't care where it's coming from it just turns out we'd gotten sold out of understanding that our own body, when it's working in its uh, ideal situation, is an extraordinarily complex and a miraculous piece of equipment that if you don't understand how to operate that first and start trying to fix it before you even understand how it works, kind of a dumb way, you know, it, it works on one hand, creates a lot of flows of capital, which can be good if it's directed properly, but it can start getting a little bit off kilter when people keep doing stuff that's pretty basically understood not going to be good for you, i.e., for example, making it so that your foot can't do what it would naturally do, at least even in a shoe. Your foot should be splaying, it should be able to move, it should be able to sort, I mean, ideally, or else you're going to be finding yourself in a situation where you're going to be permanently making your, uh, the assumption that your foot is broken by default, you might as well just do everything you can to protect it from the beginning. And that attitude may not allow the foot to do what exactly it needs to do, which is to sort of just like anybody trying to develop any part of themselves, you got to stress it a little and then let it regroup. Let it, and this anti-fragile element to living on this planet has taken the human species and shook us up pretty good and here we are. It's not because we've been these frail, broken animals that can barely make it across the ground. I mean, let's face it. So I became, because I grew up in California surf culture in the 70s, we didn't know that our foot was broken yet. We didn't know that yet. So we did everything that we wanted to in our own bare feet, scuba dive, surfing, climbing on. You know, it's like we didn't know that we weren't supposed to do that. And guess what? We did it. And it was fine. Then it was as my in the later as I got older, and then I wanted to get back into some of the sort of health regime of, you know, I was finding, damn, how do those people do that? Like I could, I could get to about an hour of running. I'd still plenty of juice left, but I was like, why in the hell do my feet feel so bad? I've got the best sneakers possible. Anyway, the rest of that unraveling story. These days, though, I'm back to really all I'm about now for people and, and people I start with myself. I'm my own first experimental animal is that I want to feel happy and healthy, vital and strong and feel good. So I want to live another day.
And so yeah. that's how I want to start this conversation is like, here we are. We want to live good to live well for another day. How do we do that? There's some hints. I sort of get that. Like, cause I feel there's this like straight line. That's my balance. And I can feel when I start to lose that balance, there's certain aspects of my life when they come away from that straight line, I start losing who I am. And the closer I can keep them to that, the more balanced I feel. Totally. I mean, I'm, by the way, I mean, that so chimes in well with what I've been all of my life. I've been, and many people are attracted to those sports and those experiences that get you into that flow state. It's a very complex state that a human being can get into when they're moving super fluidly and they're, it's effortless, yet it's requiring them to be there. And it seems like our consciousness and our body is so well adapted to rewarding us when we're in that space. And you can't, an expert can't tell, you don't need somebody else to tell you you're there. I mean, other than to encourage you to find it. The sign is clear though, when you're in that space, not only do you feel good when you're, but you look good. Other people can see you and they map onto you. Like you see a bird flying, a surfer going down a skier. You map onto them and you can imagine that exhilaration or that sort of experience of freedom. And the, what I'm starting to find by basically basing myself in California surf and skate culture is those states are the bonus points of living. You don't need a whole crap ton of them. But the more often you can stay in that space, the better off you're basically giving yourself bonus points. And I like getting bonus points and I encourage others to do the same. And what I find as well, when you're in that state, other people move into that state just by being around you. That's an interesting, you know, I wonder what that quality is. There's, I think there's, it's at this point, it, there's many, many things involved in being able to get into that state and it's it's over complex right i mean there's we're getting a grasp of it i mean um you know there's been a lot of interesting research and attempts there's been a lot of different experiences that people but what is it about that you know i think one aspect that really captures my attention when like you just described is there's almost like you get a frequency you get an um kind of a frequency that um if you've ever seen like um I was just noticing the other day, if you get water vibrating at a pattern, I think I had the garbage disposal on and I had a, and suddenly these incredible patterns formed on the skim of the water. I was thinking, wow, that is instantaneously, without any latency, the whole damn surface of the water has now got this incredibly complex pattern because one powerful vibratory effect. And I thought that's kind of how the human contagion of um, enthusiasm for something that's real. Somehow, human beings, it kind of, they need to be in the presence of the voice in a person. I mean, it can be used for ill or positive. I mean, ever since Aristotle, the talking of the persuasion of people and how that can happen. But ultimately, when you're around people who are finding a way to discover a lifestyle that allows them to be healthy and happy and have reserves of it so that they're not like, um, it's so overabundant in a sense when you get into a vital state of living that you, the, the, you, the, the 
the cocoon of fears that if you use it up, it's gone, starts sort of melting away because when I go and go, for, for example, these days, like I went on a little run this morning, I mean, I go outside and have my constitutional. I'll go, I don't even know where the hell I'm going to go. I start going this way, then I, I'm in a very, I'm a very zen runner in the sense that I'm just really chasing experience. I'm the kite that's been cut and just let to freely go. And I just started thinking about that is a great privilege to be able to tune, and, in my bare feet, by the way, and just tune right back down, get into the set. And I don't give a crap about the time or the distance. I do, uh, one of the things I do in a lot of my running and my just like daily running, I'm very much, the breathing becomes very important to me. So I do a lot of nose breathing and I just really just stay in that moment. And then when you're running barefoot, I ran across on our pier, you know, we have a wooden pier. You're there, 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 there. And when I'm done with a run like that and I'm sitting in the sun and I'm under, what I've just done, I haven't devitalized myself. I have supercharged myself so that I can come and I can handle, you know, the difficult, you know, people think you live such a blessed life, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, no, I get hit hammered all the time. But more often than not these days, I'm 56 now. So I've, I've, I've got this theory in life that each year after 50, you're getting one percentage point more better chance that your decision about something you want to do is going to be right. It's a small increment, but it, it's, it has this kind of good inertial, you know, tr if you could trust that inertia, if you're on the right path, and the right path is a daily practice that is palpably benefiting you, you can't, you don't need an expert to even explain that to you. You're noticing it, you're feeling, and it carries over into maybe, you know, you don't argue quite as much with the wife or, you know, the setback is actually becomes an opportunity. You know, there's something to that. And I think the success of our ancestors has been that they have more often than not, at least the ones that were able to shoot their code as far as it is to this conversation, because that's one hell of an aim. <laughs> Obviously, they were more often than not thinking this way rather than the other side of the coin, which is the paranoid way of living, which is I'm doomed, the universe is conspiring against me, uh, my body sucks, my, you know, and there's an element of truth in that story too. But Lord have mercy. <laughs> if you can tune into the better one, and it really doesn't take a whole crap ton a lot. I mean, look, man, I could almost do what I just told you I need to do, and I did do it with just my surf trunks on. It wasn't like I needed to, I mean, yes, I live on the coast. And, uh, you know, that's by choice. But there's a crap ton of coastline all over this planet, including around ponds and lakes and anywhere else. So, I mean, getting a, a modicum of natural, you know, being able to see some open sky and some open water and some open mountains, anytime you can do that, that's, again, bonus points. I know I did a little research on some of the things you've been, and it's like you understand what I'm talking about. You get people out there in those spaces and in those places. You can, for lack of a better word, heal a crap ton of trauma that comes in and when you're not able to be there. Just knowing that it's there. And then, after that, being able to have the wherewithal and the desire to kind of 
go out there and explore it a little bit and then getting the reward of all that, come on, man. That's, that's very worthy work, very worthy activity. Yeah, no. <clears throat> about two years ago, I struggled really badly with um, chronic tension headaches and fatigue. And what I found was when I talked about that balance, um, the more I got connected to the things you were talking about, it slowly but surely started to disappear. And I would have moments, maybe one day in a week, where I felt really grounded and connected that I wouldn't have it. And my energy would go sky high and then boom. When I look back and I was questioning those days, like why was I feeling good on those days? It's because I was feeling connected. Or should I say I was being disconnected from the modern world, which allowed me to be connected. And when I learned that, I was almost able to let go. And any time that I felt that it was too heavy, I knew what I had to do to try and reconnect myself. And most of the times it was go for a run. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, it's, not, it's, it's a discovery that many have been making over, you know, uh, from the beginning of time on some level. But we're, again, as being moderns, We've been differently able. We, you know, civilization has given us a lot of bonuses um, and with a, 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 at the cost of uh, having to become a little bit more sophisticated to be able to get out of the ruts that can. Um, and there's a lot, you know, movement is one of them. I mean, uh, for my own journey, and I think, by the way, in the being able to recognize that your life is a very unique perspective in the way the universe has decided, you know, you are a unique being. I mean, you're going to share a lot of traits with everyone else in some sense or another. You're going to resonate with other people, that vibration concept we were talking about, which the re word resonance really literally goes into that direction. But you're also going to discover things unique about yourself, and you're going to find your own path. And that's a, quite a privilege and blessing, too. It means that the riddle of your own life is always begging to be solved and it's never done and so it's almost a style of being that you're developing so that you can in your physical life in your mental life in your whatever life whatever elements of you that you can discover all the facets of your personality and and experience the good news is you don't need to get any permission from anybody but yourself to experiment on yourself and furthermore, you don't have to trick or hide the conclusions. You might be wrong, but at least you're empowered to know that you're doing something. And that when you begin to have breakthroughs one way or another, and this is anybody in the audience hearing this, you're going to have breakthroughs. You're going to have your own discoveries. You're going to have to sometimes just be yourself and regardless of everyone else tells you you're wrong. But ultimately, you're going to work on making sure you're telling yourself the truth because if you can't do that then you haven't even got to ground zero yet and if you can get to ground zero tell yourself the truth follow your lead see what the results are adjust accordingly and find where you're going you can play with your diet you can play with your mental life you can play with your spiritual physical yada yada blah 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 and to your heart's content and guess what i guess just by shaking the dice of your own experience more often than not, you're going to start to find the good stuff just like all our ancestors did, and, and it's a long chain of success there. I suggest we get into that tune as much as we can, as often as possible. Sounds like that's what you were doing. Yeah, because the biggest mistake, and I made it as well, was listening to what other people had to say about me. 
So the first time I had a running injury was a IT band, which many people will know about. And walked into podiatrist, and she was amazed that I could walk, let alone run. My feet were flat, they're double jointed. You know, it was a real sales pitch. And that day, um, I walked out with a pair of my first orthotics. Took me six months to break them in. I couldn't walk around the pool in my bare feet after breaking them in. And then I picked up the book, Born to Run. All I had was really, it was a very natural thing that I had. Um, Gabriel Halassi, I didn't pronounce his second name right. I never can anyway. He's the worst overpronator on the planet and one of the best runners on the planet. It wasn't unnatural at all. The problem I had was my glutes was too weak. And instead, you know, I went to a professional that misguided me. Um, I still wear orthotics to this day. Um, I've also now worn tight shoes. And it's, um, I suppose that's the big mistake. You have to go on your own path of discovery and test what's right for you. And slowly but surely, you know, you peel that onion back bit by bit until you discover what's right for you. Yeah, you know when it's right. Like, you know, let's face it. Some people, I'm guessing, you know, I don't have, I'm not an anti this or yada yada that. I, I mean, I'm about self-empowerment and um, telling the truth. And uh, I think, um, you know, unfortunately, so many of the professions, particularly in medicine, they're, it's, it's almost... Certainly, the vast majority of people are just trying to do the best they know how and what they've been trained to do. And it's there's a lot of money and time involved in getting their credentials and the yada yada, blah blah blah. And um, God bless them. I mean, it's not. A, I, you know, it's like uh, we're all they're finding their way. But ultimately, the overall uh, in this day and age. If you have a critical thinking background and you have access to things like the internet and you have book, you're going to become a pretty good diagnostic. Uh, if, 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 if you can really diagnose yourself or start to begin to understand that you have that capacity, um, many of us do, um, it's a grand time to be alive. We have access to so much good information um, more than ever before so that we can sort of Get around that, but yeah, I I believe the modality of basically just um, making the case that somebody's, you know, going to need to wear this, that, or the other thing forever now, is um, uh, well, it doesn't leave much room for experimentation. There, it's like it seems like they know, and so we've gotten very used to. Well, you know, some of us have been. There, I, I was reading this chart about conformism recently, and it was some guy was doing research on it. And there's like a baseline, and then there's like highly conforming, passive, and aggressive, and highly independent, passive, and I guess they use aggressive. I mean, like in other words, they're gonna. And I guess I've always it, the 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 conforming aggressive is like the kid who's always telling on the other kids, like, hey, you're, you know, and then the. Aggressive independent is like always asking every question. Why is that the rule? Why is that the rule? You know, seeing the kind of the uh, fiat of some of the rules that might exist in their young lives. So I've obviously been the guy over here going, hey, why do we, you know, I mean, I, I, hey, the emperor doesn't really have any clothes on kind of guy. And so I'm, you know, teachers hate students like this. Just get in line, shut up and do the. So, but if the modality doesn't work, 
whatever it is they've given you. In a way, it's a it's an opportunity to try something new. Um, go, you know, take a leap of faith. Uh, you know, and sometimes some of us take that leap and somehow catch a vine, and suddenly we're swinging and we're having fun. I mean, what can happen? Whereas some people are too maybe too tentative, too too fearful, too uncertain, and um, ultimately may miss out. And that's the nature of existence. I mean, maybe somewhere down, down, you know, who knows why it all works out the way it does. The good news is many of us are here and we can say this style of approaching the problem of being human and finding the answers through our own experiences works. Please give it a try. It doesn't cost anything. Oops. Because <laughs> what we're, in essence, what we're trying to do is find our lost selves. Like we're talking about what we were doing for thousands, maybe millions of years. And modern day, we've sort of lost piece by piece. Another guy that I love is Wim Hof. You know, he loves reconnecting what we've lost. And I suppose that's why I love, I was so excited having bare, uh, Barefoot Ted on the podcast because I can relate to it so much. And I know it's, for some people, this is quite deep. You know, we're talking about reconnection. This is all new. Um, and it depends what you've been exposed to in life. But how does this all relate to running and in particular barefoot running? Like how well do we know our feet? Well, you know, uh, just to let you know that just because I'm barefoot Ted and I'm, I mean, this was early on after the book, Corner Run. By the way, you know, <laughs> one of the, I have to say, I get a lot of joy out of the, uh, Chapter 25 in Born to Run starts out with Barefoot Ted was right, of course. And then it goes on to this long uh, list of reasons why we need to reconsider what it means to be a human and how. But the and you know, I've done coaching in the past, and then I started realizing I really don't, you know, each individual is such a miasma of different experiences and. I, I have no idea. I can't be, and I don't want to be. I'm not an expert on feet. I mean, my own, I got some pretty damn good understanding of, but when it comes to looking at the, you know, I'm not a physiologist. I'm not an anatomist. I'm, I barely even understand half the, I look at a foot and I just go like Da Vinci, like this. Da Vinci looks at the foot and says, this is one of the preeminently engineered pieces of the human body. That's a crap. That's pretty serious talk, you know? I mean, a preeminently, from, from Da Vinci, the preeminently engineered part of a human body? Why? Well, it's got a lot of stuff going on there. A lot of nerves, a lot of tendons, a lot of... I mean, my God, and what has it done for humanity? What value does that friggin' piece of engineering... What has it, has it provided us? Well, everything... Every single thing, because every single human being born whole gets up on its own two feet and roams around, has its hands free and its brain bigger, and suddenly becomes the engineer who creates a drone that comes and picks me up and takes me to my favorite surf spot in five minutes without any, uh, you know, on a solar-powered battery. How's that? It's our vehicle. I was doing a little bit of looking at that stuff, and I'll tell you, I've got me some... I've been dreaming of 
I'm really into technology when it comes to being able to keep the human form and speed, like our position, like so, and at the same time augment it so that we can move. I, I was talking when I was in uh, Japan many years ago. I got to meet in one of the Luna Sandal fans in Japan. Luna is very popular in Japan, my sandal company. And uh, this guy was research and development for Toyota, and he was asking me, hey, I, what, what do you envision for the future of vehicles and things like this? And I told him my ideas. I had uh, Back in the day, I had the uh, longest 24-hour skateboard record, 242, 389 kilometers in 24 hours. Many have gone over that now, but I've, I've been playing with, what are these things we can do? And then I got into the, I became friends with the inventor of the solo wheel, which is a one-wheeled electric device. And I've been doing some amazing things with that. That's a device that allows you to basically be in running form in your core, but suddenly have some augmented speed. But I've been envisioning uh, a way to essentially take the running form and the running movement in that flow state and with the help of a drone and some interesting technology and maybe some distance, do what Jesus did and run across the water. Now, wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> little tether, little tip, tip, tip. Man, a lot of new open space suddenly comes for your, for your bliss runs. Anyway, I'm going way out on a tank. Yeah, yeah. Well, everything's impossible until it's done. I had Mike, Mike Ward in on the podcast there a few weeks ago, and I asked him, you know, what, where would he like to run? And he said, well, if you know anybody in NASA, you know, my aspiration is to run around the moon. So you have to have your aspirations or we're going nowhere. Dude, look, my company is named Luna Sandals. I would love to run around the moon. But, and that's great, but that, that's, that's a, quite a leap. I mean, it's, it's, it's doable. We already know. But what about run in the sky or run on a maglev uh, sidewalk where you have a maglev uh, sandals and the motion of good form gives you quicker and faster progress on the side? I mean, there's some – we've got a future that could come. I mean, I know everybody's embroiled in all the worries of the whatever, yada, yada. But I'm telling you, man, that picture up here, this is me in 1970. Okay. And I was, my grandma drew that. And I was very much aware of what the hell was going on in the world. Uh, on my fifth birthday, a few days later, we landed on the moon. And then uh, my grandpa had me watch a, uh, he was friends with this, uh, had grow, got, grown up with this uh, uh, newscaster named Walter Cronkite, who was the man about the space mission and computers and this future that was coming. And I was envisioning what that would be. It's finally kind of sort of starting to get to where I had hoped back then. And it was all about freeing up human beings to explore, to learn at their own pace, to share, to... And actually, in 1968, I watched 68 or 69. I remember it. The first, it's, and you can see it on YouTube. The mother of all video conferencing. And it's a guy in Palo Alto. I think it's at Park. And he's doing a video conference with a teleprompter, with a computer screen, with a, 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 a movement device, like a mouse, to point on and doing this all 19, you know. And I'm like going, okay, I like that. That looks like, and boy, did I have to wait a long, long time. 
before I saw anything that even barely approached what ended up being like that. So this is where this combo of like um, Bert Latrain, the famous spacecraft designer, su suggested that the ideal spacecraft, the very best one, would allow a naked human being to operate it. Why? Because the naked human being is a friggin' creature that has all this background of being just fine in its own container. Boom. So just give it a place to wander around and be comfortable in its own environment. And now you have a long-term space vehicle. Or, if you happen to be grounded here on Earth with all of us, a long-time space vehicle on Earth. So get to know your body. Understand it as best you can. Bring it back into the incredible, resilient, self-forming system that it is and try to figure out how to keep that sucker tuned because the payout is an endless barrage of monologues like this one <laughs> so it's like 10 years ago born to run a little bit more than that so there is a brand new generation out now and a lot of people listen to the podcast um most people have heard of the book number one best-selling book out there now on running and we talked about, you know, how we've sort of lost ourselves a little bit. But I suppose what was so unique about the book was the Tower of Mara. And the reason being, in modern day, what we discovered really through the book and through the venture um, that Chris and everybody had um, was they were still living very unchanged in today's modern society. And that's why we were so amazed that these guys run two, 300 miles. And you had 78-year-olds running 100 miles. And it was just part of their living life to run from one community to another, maybe running 200 miles in two days with very little on their foot, very little injuries, very little sickness. And so for those people that don't know about um, the Born to Run, this new generation I'm talking about, tell me a little bit about Taramara and why... They were so special, I suppose. Yeah, well, you know, in my own um, journey, I got fascinated by... Once I started realizing that in my case, it turned out because I had already spent a lifetime and had developed a keen awareness of what it felt like to move on this planet in my own two feet. I mean, back in the 70s in California, I, I wrote about it in... Uh, a recent chicken soup for the soul story I wrote the roots of barefoot Ted and it was my favorite clothing brand in the 70s was this brand called hang 10 and hang 10 is a surf move where you get all both feet at the front of the board and all 10 toes hanging off the edge and you're shooting down the wave so it's a pretty you know it's an acrobatic type of move but all my shirts had two golden feet embroidered on the place where Izod would be or whatever, you know, wherever the little embroidery would be. And back in the 70s, that was like the cat's meow. And that was, you know, it was already paying attention. We already, as surfers, skaters, we already paid homage to these appendages that were the thing without them. All the cool stuff was happening there at that interface. So when I was having my own epiphany about uh running and what was going to work for me what was becoming the solution it had to do with reconnecting to my body my feet and this form that sort of develops more often than not through that interface there's almost like really old school 
engineering and programming that you tap into when you get there, this genetic memory type thing. That you're not, you know, you're, you're just, I mean, can you imagine if we had to sort of like mindfully figure out how to make our ear work to take in all this data and process it? And I mean, geez, I think running can be similar to that if you don't put on earplugs before you start your conversation, you might get a better sound and then you could either back away or get, you can start to tune more accurately the more data you can receive about what's happening to you in real time is an argument that can be made and I started making it. And then I started wondering, and I, and I already had a background enough to have known some, I had some inkling that there was something like this, that barefooting might be better in my own family, in my own history, and this culture that I'd grown up in. But then when I started, you know, researching it, I started realizing, oh, my goodness, there are people still living on the planet today, some in South Africa, some in Mexico, some in other places. There's, there are little hints about our human capacities that are still out there, and they are telling. They give us some insight into what it is that we have before we are told we can't do it. And that became interesting to me. And at the same time, I started, let's say, studying the natural selection of footwear in human culture. What pops up for people who need to be moving in order to survive? And you find, you know, well, if you don't need a shoe, it doesn't come into play because you don't, you know. And then if you do, it's the simplest solution that works the best, and it's never not paying homage to the foot in the first place. They don't come up with like a, you know, our ancestors didn't come up with an orthotic. Now, let me tell you, they could make any, any kind of shoe you can imagine that exists today, any kind of thing. Believe me, hunter-gathering folks do incredible stuff. They can make incredible things. The, the toolkit of survival is literally learned by everyone in a tribe in many cases. I had a friend who wrote a great book called The Survival Skills of Native Californians. And you basically come away after reading the book realizing these are very highly skilled people who didn't have the technology we have uh, you know, because of a variety of different things. But what they did do with the same brain we have was they became experts at the things they could make with the stuff that's in their environment. Imagine that. You know, that's a pretty high tech. You know, being able to find how to make everything you need to survive from the stuff that's lying around around you and doing a good job of it such that you have generations and generations and a culture and a mythology and stories and all the rest. Well, that's pretty damn good. Can't say not that. And so the more I studied that, I saw most of the people who were long distance movers and hunters and their foot and or with, and so that became interesting. And then of course the Tato Amada came up and it was like, wow, I've got, you know, this is in my backyard. I got to go check this out. And well, the rest is history. But, you know, in the end though, it's always, we can't go back in time. I mean, uh, although what did Albert Einstein said, uh, World War Four will be fought with rocks and sticks. World War Three, well, that's not the one we want to do because the rocks and stick ones means you know. But we don't. I don't want to go back there. I'm not interested. However, I mean, back in time and just like like yeah. just get rid of all the stuff that's come because of us terrible human beings. Yada yada. I don't buy that. I think 
our ancestors would be super stoked and very greatly satisfied to know that we can do some of the things we do now. They would not be saying no thank you because there's a hardship in some sense with the Tarahumara in certain cases, like if it doesn't rain, for example, people die. If it rains, rain is like capital or money in a system where people need to trade with it. If you've got no trading beads, no, everybody's like sitting there with their hands up and rain is like, boom, everything stops. So they had the droughts and that's why many of them started coming out of the canyons in the 90s and suddenly we saw their running prowess when you extended the distance beyond the marathon and that's why they be, so yeah. So in the end, they're inspirational and they remind us of our own capacities at the very least, they remind us that that's not impossible. So there must be something. Same with the Sherpas. People, you know, I, I climbed, I was climbing, we have Mount Whitney here in California. It's, uh, it's one of the tallest mountains in the continental United States. And I've summited it three times barefoot. It's like people say, you can't do that. And it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Go look at the back of the day. Sherpas, when you're going up, when you're climbing up something and it's, when you have the proprioceptive instantaneous feedback of what, if that is that, can that take my weight? When you have a barefoot, you instantly know. And you have all this new flexibility and you can store and load your, you know, that's one of the marvelous things about the feet is if you can get them into their, their, their flow, they start giving these, they have these little efficiency things and these little protection things and this, this, this feedback that is, you just don't want to not have that. If you don't have that, you're not fully using the equipment as it's been provided with you. So there you have it. So that's one of the key arguments, isn't it, around barefoot and, and wearing running shoes, especially they're getting bigger and thicker. And you see hokas, we've got like an inch and a half maybe um, of a sole. But your foot wants to. You know, it's designed to make contact and feel that so it can get that feedback and that your brain can work out how to control your body. Um, but we're taking that away from the sh from your foot when you put a shoe on it. And the more cushioning you put in, um, the less feedback you're getting. And that results in the harder sort of pressure of your foot. Because your foot wants the feedback, it's looking for it. It's coming down. And the more cushioning you've got, the harder it's gonna come down. And also it's not gonna, yeah, that, I mean, in the end, I think that if you can get this form, if you can get this feel, you could reduplicate it in, in other words, I think uh, a shoe won't automatically take it away from you. But if you don't have it or you're trying to tune into it, the shoe is not going to help you. That's where uh, Dr. Lieberman at Harvard found what was so fascinating was if you have people running on this uh, special treadmill he has and they don't have shoes, their pattern, landing patterns, get uh you know have a, a set there's a kind of a line a circle of how far they go in and out of a certain sort of like norm you put shoes on them and it starts just getting it's just like all over the place so it, it it seems that um it's really important for people to if they haven't or if they're not at least periodically reconnect to the original equipment just to tune and get start to feel what that might feel like. And then another thing that's super important that people don't pay attention to, but they should. And I used to, when I do my coaching, I'd make them do this. You just take somebody, I mean, I didn't realize not everybody can do this recently, but that's a whole nother story. I'll just continue. So take somebody on a hard surface in their bare feet 
and have them go through the motion of what it's like to jump rope. And ultimately, you should be able to, and apparently not everybody understands what I'm talking about when I say this, but maybe you understand. But if you get into the right thing and you're, and you're jump roping, there is a way of getting the cadence just right so that you're basically loading and unloading your body, and the quickness can help you actually make yourself lighter because you're essentially loading and unloading a spring. And if you can get that just right, you're more efficient. If you slow it down, you lose the rebound. So there's something to be said about speeding up, to some degree, the cadence, the turnover of your feet. But if you tried to do the same experiment and you're jumping on a cushiony surface, you don't get, it's like running on sand. It, at one moment, it's less impact because you're not landing, but you're getting no rebound. So you're putting more effort, which can strain things too. I mean, it's like, so it's, it's all these things. If you don't know what it's like to move in your own bare feet. Now, not everybody, by the way, I make sandals because I started realizing not everybody's bottom of their foot or their background is the same. In other words, if you haven't built up or by sake of body form or history or whatever, some people have no fatty pads on the bottom of their feet. You know, there's just bone on skin. I mean, and what I'm trying to do, what I started realizing, it's like a bear. You, it is good to have something that's giving you that um, break from the just the, 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 the rock hardness of a surface for the, the, the shearing, for, uh, the feeling on the foot. But ultimately, you want to feel the impact. And when you feel that, it kind of, even almost without thinking, but, you know, you can overthink it, but it's wanting you to unload, you know, it doesn't want to commit. It starts to feel that, oh, my gosh, if I could just lift up now. And getting people to feel, I, I really enjoy doing that, um, getting people to, for the first time in some cases, feel what it's like to start moving a little bit more effortlessly without any shoe of any kind can be quite revealing to people and might set them off on a new path that ultimately can and often does solve the problem of running for them. So I've seen that happen. Um, but the whole next topic, which I will look forward to getting into, is how far is enough, too? Because we're in the West, and we like numbers, and we like progress, and we like distances, and we like we like some kind of... A, and. I'm telling you, that's another one as we get older and we are seeking, like I said earlier in the podcast, that I'm seeking vitality, health, happiness, uh, and, and more isn't always better. I mean, one pint might be good, six might not be so good, you know, and so forth. So it's like learning how to gauge where that is instead of trying to falsely compare. Numbers are too tricky. People love numbers because they're so precise, but your health is not a number. It's really a kind of experience that I want you to err on the side of feeling better all the time and not feeling broken most of the time. That's, I mean, that's what I'm telling. I, I want to start telling people more of that. Yes, see if you can over-exuberate yourself. Find that great, incredible journey that you want to push the limits it is absolutely worthy to do those things but tell the truth if it's hurting you if it's breaking you 
And you know, maybe, maybe that's not necessary. Maybe that's not necessary. I'm not, you know, maybe if you're, if you're a frontline battle guy and you're in the special forces and you need to learn how to keep going even when everything and everyone tells you you're a fool, and we need people like that apparently, or at least, you know, it's, you know, go! You know, it's like, I'm kind of like, I'm more like the happy monkey that says, look, man, why? I, I, I've never been good at just following the rules. I'm kind of more, I've been erring on the side of like, I don't want to do anybody harm, starting with myself. But it is a key point as well. It's a bit of a side point. Um, a friend of mine who started running there, he's trying to break a certain time in the marathon. And this experienced runner gave him a running plan. And it entailed going to the gym, doing this, doing that. And it was so far away from where he was and what he was doing. And the question I asked him was, but are you going to enjoy that? Like, why did you don't lose the reason why you started to run begin with? You know, you've got this training plan. Is that going to continue you on the path of why you've begun to begin with? So pushing yourself and keep on challenging and challenging and challenging is good and it's fine as long as you're still enjoying that. And just be careful that you understand yourself when too much becomes too much. Because quite often runners put themselves under a lot of pressure. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just against that um, in general. Uh, although I'm sure learning how to, I mean, there isn't, I mean, I'm not, a, you know, if somebody, if that's their thing and that's, it, and it, they can find a way to apply that to their, I think a lot of people are striving for excellence, let's say. They're trying to find what's the best version of myself I can discover. And they, uh, and I think, a coach is ultimately a person in that, particularly a performance coach, is wanting to help them externalize an intention they have within themselves, and they know what is required. And a kind of an element of discipline and focus and sacrifice seems to be very important part of that process. And some people want to make that journey, and if they do, and that's their choice, and they're doing it then ultimately, I think they're probably getting something out of it that is going to be valuable. But I just want to keep making, I want to be the other guy in the room that says, here's another way to approach it too. Use your intention. You can decide that this is what you want to do. And that you're new instead of a number or a goal like that, which is worthy. And at least it's teaching you how to go after something that is uh, the goal ultimately, I'm assuming, is to improve yourself rather than break yourself, right? I mean, I, I would be a little bit less inclined to support anybody's endeavor if they were basically desiring to destroy themselves. You know, they they just like, hey, I'm going to show you. It doesn't even matter. You know, I'll just die showing you how I can do. And it's like, hmm. But if their goal is self-improvement and they find some way and they go that way and they follow it and it, 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 it either works or it doesn't, but regardless, they've got a new tool in their toolbox which says, I can come up with something I want to do, and I can find somebody that maybe knows something about that, and then I can apply myself to it, and I can get there. I'm just saying a happy, healthy, vital body might be the goal, and it may not take a whole crap ton of work to do that. It may be very simple, and if that's the case, accept it. Accept it and live in your rewarded new persona. Is, you know, that's what Barefoot Ted likes to say. I felt like throwing my hands up there in the air, but 
But you are right in what you're saying, you know, because when I was marathon running and I was getting to that point in mile 20, 22, and I used to be like, oh, I have to push through this. I have to be stronger. You know, all that motivation things I used to listen to. I didn't start getting past that point until I stopped challenging myself and I just let go and just accepted it. Used the word Zen earlier on. Just let my body go down and it come back up again. And the more I found I let go and the less I sort of grind myself down and just accepted what was going on then the faster and the further i started to go wow yeah i've i've heard that story i mean look that's a that sounds like a great way to test the imaginary boundaries of what's possible for each individual and i it is exhilarating to know that in the meat puppet costume you've been born with you can do things that were unimaginable to yourself before you started this journey, I'm, I'm so many of us are, and it, that's inspiration in and of itself. And it's a, it, so even if that were all wrong, let's say somebody gets to the end of that road and they're, you know, they're broken and they're tired and it's like, but look what you did, you know, whomever it is out there in the audience. It's like, that's, that's a great learning experience, but also being able to, you know, it's now you've got that energy in one direction, just, I'm just trying, and that's back to the flow sport, bringing all that back into where I'm finding, and that's what my whole thing is, the least amount that works the best. So it's like, what is that? It, I mean, and then sometimes pushing it here, but getting into that tight place where, man, it's a resiliency that carries over into all other aspects of your life that I think is beneficial. And it turned that resiliency, when it's palpable, it's that feeling of fitness and, and that feeling of vitality that is helping you to not be set back by the setbacks you're going to experience every day in your life. This, like, this is the past future. <laughs> in a roundabout way. You know, we talked about evolution. You know, we're not knocking evolution. Evolution is real. That's what we need. We need space to grow. And that's what's happening with evolution. Like what we're talking about is reconnecting. That's a different thing. And why barefoot and barefoot sort of running works for yourself. It's not just barefoot and it's that whole holistic approach to life. And that's why some people will knock it. They'll knock the barefoot running and the connection and that, but they're not understanding what the message is. It's the whole holistic approach to your whole lifestyle. Well, yeah, I mean, I got out of the, look, I, I, in the end, I'm not, I'm not out to debate or, you know, there, I think some people and coaches that have protocols and to, to do certain things, I don't, I don't think there's anything specific. I'm, I'm not in the debate there. I, I'm like an admixture. Like you should be sort of regardless of what, I mean, you might be, you, these, these are not incompatible. In other words, no matter what, you probably want to reconnect and understand how you're, uh, what it feels like to be in a human body sans anything. Just to begin to, if you're really about trying to find ultimate performance in a human animal, uh, you want to explore the fundamental framework that that thing's been born into and that's been the hallmark of its success for millions of years, let's say. It, it behooves you. Take, you don't, it doesn't mean you have to change your whole lifestyle and become like that crazy barefoot Ted guy. But it does mean that you need to 
not poo-poo the idea that this would be beneficial for you. It absolutely will be beneficial for you to get to know and to uh, connect with these very complex, beyond our understanding in many ways, systems that we integrate into our body. And the way to do, one way to do that without getting too far in the head is just take off your shoes. It's <laughs> <laughs> simple as that. But it's about finding your own space, isn't it? That's what it's all about. And it's different for each one of us. Um, but there are... But there are certain things that do cross over. You know, if you look after yourself, if you sleep well, if you eat good, clean food, if you hydrate properly, there are some basic lines there. And I often say to people, you know, it's important to understand how your body works because you're trying to achieve something. You're trying to get somewhere. Like if you were driving a car, that old analogy of a car, whether it's a Ferrari, a racing car, you have to know how that car works. You have to know how to fuel it properly. You just can't sort of hope and wish. Okay. Yeah, I, I, the analogy of the car is a good one. I've, I mean, I've loved it. I say it this way. It's like, you take a beautiful car. Let's say a Ferrari. Let's say it's out of tune and you've got bad fuel in it. Running it harder is not going to make it better. You've got to make sure that thing is tuned well, fueled well, and then you can find some performance. But running it hard when it's not tuned well and it's not properly lubricated... Dude, that ain't gonna make it better. So I, you know, uh, so you're gonna, break it. you're gonna break it. You're gonna break it, and it was it it should break because I mean, that car is not now. Humans are actually more resilient than machines, so they can go further and further and further away with it. That our bodies are just will do and adapt so many different ways to s s allow us to keep moving. But the fact of the matter is, I want you to imagine yourself. A fine whatever, let's say a Jaguar E-Type, okay? That sucker better be tuned well. <laughs> and it better have some good fuel in it before you start revving that sucker up to its highest RPMs. Otherwise, that thing ain't going to get better fast. Yeah, what, one thing that came out of the book um, when you talked about us sort of finding our ways, the way we used to hunt down animals, and our bodies are amazing, obviously. They've got a great cooling system. Um, just for those that don't know that, talk to me a little bit about that, because that is one of the most fascinating things that sort of came out of that. Oh, totally. Uh, persistence hunting, it's called. I had uh, maybe five or ten years, uh, five years ago, I uh, got invited to give a talk at the History uh, Museum, or the, what is it, Nature, History? Uh, in London there. And I was, one of the other speakers was this guy named uh, Louis Leibenberg of South Africa. He's like a citizen scientist and he's uh, got to know the San people really well and all of this and uh, uh, one of the things that I, I started really getting he's he's into tracking and um, he started uh, he wrote a book called the, um, uh, the something about tracking and our the early roots of science it's a very fascinating theory and essentially he started pointing out, and it becomes really clear. So this persistence hunting goes like this. You're out in the desert, and you're hungry. You've got a group of, let's say, 30 people, and it's, you're getting hungry. And uh, 
there's a, a lot of different resources, but one of them is a, an animal called a kudu, which can get up to 800 pounds. And it's a, if you can catch one of those suckers, you've got enough food for a month for 30 people. It's a pretty damn good situation if you can get one of those suckers. And these guys, who are considered by many to be among our oldest living ancestors, i.e. they've got like, you know, apparently some of the oldest DNA uh, that, you know, is connected to all of us in some way. So let's just say that's true. And then on top of that, they've developed this skill that allows them to, and there's two parts to it. Number one is they've got the long distance running capacity so that they can do this persistence hunt, which being basically... You spook an animal, it runs out of your sight real quickly. You do this in the middle of the day, by the way. You might carry an ostrich shell with some, uh, shell with some water in it. You've got, and you, you spook that guy. He starts running. Heat of the day. It gets out of your view, but you keep following him. And then you spook him again, and you keep following him. Then you got it so that you start turning him around. So he's coming in this big arcing circle. And... 18 to 32 miles later, that guy, that animal, drops to the ground and is dying from heat stroke. And you've run him right around so he's dying a heat stroke pretty close to where your village is. And you've done that because, A, you're the greatest long-distance running animal on the planet when you add heat and distance to the equation. If you add a very, very sophisticated, highly capable of processing marks on the ground to help you reveal to you where this critter's going and how tired it's getting and what's its situation. The ability for our brain to see little marks on the ground and read an entire, make these extrapolations about what it is and where it's going and how, it's incredible. So... The bottom and the top of the human animal running along on a desert floor has the two most marvelous pieces of technology that a human being needs to have. Eyeballs and a brain on the top and two damn feet on the bottom. Combine those together and you have that monster that keeps coming until it's got you. And then you have a smorgasbord, literally, with some of the most nutrient-dense food on the history of the planet. I mean, the women come out and run There's videos of this. And when you bring fat back to fat... Back to the village, let me tell you, that night's going to be good. It's going to be a good night. I guarantee you that one. But combined with those eye balls in the head and the feet, it's this unique cooling system we have, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's the, uh, without that, uh, most other animals don't sweat like we do. And that sweat and that cooling process is, well, let's just put it this way. That's why that persistence hunt works the best in the middle of the day. Because those other animals, there's two things that are happening. As they run to get out of your way, they actually, they're uh, four-legged animals, their lung capacity, their breaths in and out are literally happening as they run. So they're getting into, <laughs> and at some point they're going to have to stop just to catch their breath. So that's what they're tapping into. This thing's overheating. Because, yes, it can outrun a human in the short distance. But, like I said, we're these we are the monster that keeps coming because we're, we're tapping into pacing ourselves. We're keeping ourselves cool, both by carrying water and sweating. We're breathing. We can breathe. We can change the cadence of our breathing, or the, uh, the in and out of our breathing at will. 
as we're running. And then, you know, our head, because the nuchal ligament is being able to stay, it's not balanced. A chimpanzee can run faster than a human, but its head's just bobbing around. It can't easily follow. We can just get into a nice zone. We can be reading footprints while we're running. And, you know, ding, bang, boom. It's quite amazing. Like, it's like, it's like a racehorse. You know, after, straight after a race, they're starting to throw buckets of water over that thing. It's dangerous for a horse. Because it's over, it's overheating. They have to cool it down as quickly as possible. And you, you hear races. Um, we had a local race, sort of man versus horse, and everyone's like, "Wow, this guy is going to race a horse for 24 hours." I was like, "You might get 10 minutes out of the horse, <laughs> and that's it. Like, it has to stop and breathe and cool down." And like even the Western state, you know that unique story of um, the guy turning up. That's right, Gordy Enslin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know the background of that. I mean, I, I lived on a 25-acre Arabian horse farm for some time in Los Angeles. It's a crazy story. And the lady there had been breeding and riding that race, the Tevis Cup. And what's interesting about that cup, and I believe we should bring it into the human race too, is those animals are being very intrusively examined throughout that race. Blood serum. They're not letting those animals go on if they're not healthy. And on top of it, when the race is done, there are extra points available to horses who have remained healthier. Isn't that? Isn't that? I mean, we we are more, we treat the horses more humanely than some of us poor buggers. But that's another topic for another day. But the truth of the matter is, yeah, taking care of yourself and being able to do even a grand thing like a hundred miler in a way such that you're not broken. Well, that's a great, that's an incredible skill to have that in your back pocket. as like, you know, I can do that. Wow. That makes you feel that's pretty a powerful feeling. And I, I, I like to say, I've got a few of those notches on my, on my belt buckles. Have you, oh, yeah, I was oh, going to yeah, say, have you got a few buckles yourself? Got quite a few. I, ha I don't know exactly how many, but for example, I was very much interested last year. I went and did the Leadville 100 again after having not done it for 10 years. And I had, I really had no idea. My training is all completely different. And I have this new way of looking at things and all this. And it was, it was fascinating. It was the most enjoyable hundred mile run I've ever done. Uh, and uh, some of my techniques I put into it. So, and I ran in sandals too, of course, but so did you run in your Luna sandals? Because Leadville is one of the, it's maybe the most difficult out there due to the altitude. Well, yeah, that's the, you know, it's, there's many more that have become more difficult in the sense of um, all kinds of different things these days, heat and distance. I mean, everybody's trying to break everyone else's balls, but <laughs> that was a, a good one to monitor how good you are at adapting because it's, um, uh, the whole race is over, uh, 3,000 meters the whole time, and it goes higher than that. And on top of that, and I'm and and then I'm from sea level, so it's a it's a new kind of stressor. So what I would do for training for that, I was here in Santa Barbara, California, in our hills, and the right behind us is some really steep hills, and I would just go up there and run up up these steep uh, climbs in the middle of the day in the summer. And any stressor, additional stressor, kind of carries over, is my, was my theory. <laughs> and, 
and it's true. It's like oxygen deprivation is, you know, uh, doesn't isn't a performance enhancer, obviously. So, but the way to get around it is to make sure you're breathing. And so I developed a breathing, and I'd been doing that. Back, I I finished. I think lead blood completed it. Started maybe five times and completed it three times, or started six times, completed it four times, something like that. And uh, the times that I didn't complete it had nothing to do with not being fit enough. It's not breathing correctly, not breathing well enough. But I learned that if you could, and uh, that's another whole element that I want to get. I, I, I think I'm getting, I think by the time I'm 60, I'll think I'll have, I'll think I'll be more and more willing to tell the story of what I've learned. Right now, I'm still like in experimental phases, let's say. I, I don't really, I don't know what I want to tell people. I mean, I'm telling people things all the time, obviously, but I don't have like a, you know, this is a, and I, ultimately, though, I'd love to have, I've been thinking about it for years, like a Barefoot Ted's Adventures. Like you come and you spend a weekend or a week or something, and I kind of just, all the things that I believe I've mastered for, at least for myself, so that I can speak with authority, at least for myself. And um, I look forward to doing that more and more, but breathing. And breathing well. I mean, that's where even, yeah, Wim, you know, Wim and I have no, uh, there's like, cross connections, you know, one degree of separation all over the place. I'm just not a kind of person, I'm a self-learner, so I don't ever join any, I mean, I'm friends with all kinds of people who are marvelous and incredible in their fields, maybe even coaches. I don't generally go to them. I'm, I'm too selfish. I want to I wanna discover what works for me, I, I, but I'm going to get a hint from anybody. I, I'll take, but yeah, yeah, part of life. I just can't, I'm not the kind of person that joins a program and follows it step by step and, you know, gets the little star at the end. I mean, I've done it, but I, I just, but that being said, breathing, breathing is huge, huge. You've got to be able to every day, all the time, make sure you're breathing, getting, learning how to breathe more and more. Uh, boy, uh, it's a great, great uh, tool in keeping the body fueled. We've, we've lost that as well, haven't we? We've lost our, our way of breathing. We only use like half of our lung capacity. Incredible. It's just incredible. And for example, for Leadville, the way I, I, so I've trained myself, for example, I breathe through my nose. I can run breathing through my nose. I sleep with my mouth closed. I can breathe through my nose. I've Deep down, belly breath. Exactly. And for Leadville, what I did, uh, I, there's one place that I needed to, and I was going to go this year and it's been canceled, but um, basically I nose breathed the whole time. And then as I was coming back, I was developing this because in the mountains, what I'd learned in the past is any way you can get more oxygen. So I had developed the strategy of nose breathing and then Really, like, I mean, when I was coming back after, you know, you, it's, uh, the, the run's crazy. You've got to, uh, at, at one of the uh, things, analogies I say is, in life, just like if you want to live 100 years, you better feel good at 50. In the Leadville 100, when you get to the 50-mile point, you better feel good if you want to make it to 100. <laughs> because it's going to kick your ass. You're at you at at 50 mile point you've got to turn around and climb back up to the highest part of the race called uh, hope pass and then get yourself home and um you don't want to be sick and tired at 50. that's going to be it's going to be that's going to be a bit much to chew so 
on the way back though, I just was getting this breathing going, and it just—I mean, I just turned it on, and I—I I love getting uh, on the downhill part of Hope Pass. Many people are already broken, and they're just done. And I almost had that situation. I should have not been nose breathing when we were climbing up Hope Pass. I got to the point, and I was the guy next to me was in charge of Spartan races. Um, they're one element of it, and he's like vomiting, and he's following me. And I said, "Don't follow me." And it was literally like one step, two step, rest, a few breaths. One, it's like you're climbing friggin' Mount Everest, and you've got still fifty something miles to go. It is a oh mental, like you just where can I push exit? How and you can't. You got it. You got to at least get to the next aid station to even get help so you're just going and you just want to quit and then thank god you get over the hump and you start breathing again and but at that point i shouldn't have been nose breathing that was the secret i was like at that point anything yeah. everything do whatever it takes breathe breathe what was i thinking my mind you know it's actually when you start getting into that lower you're just not thinking very good you're not thinking. But are you getting into that um, beautiful place when you're nose breathing? You're getting that connection with your feet. You're getting that flow, that rhythm. And that is it really like a meditative state? Sure. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's like, look, the re what I've come to the conclusion is the there is no reason not to be in that state always. In other words, that state ultimately does not – I mean – it's not going to be that you're going to be in that state always. But there's no reason not to shoot for that because that state is the best state for everything that you're going to do in your life. You're sounding a bit like Eckhart Tolle now. I'm sure that there's he's pro if, if, it, if it sounds good, it's probably true. <laughs> but he's very much about that. And it's about staying in the present moment. And he's saying, but why can't we stay in the present moment? Yes, you'll have all of these influences. But how you react to those determines where you stay. Life, we have a, we're, we're every new moment, we have a new whole opportunity to practice again. It's clear that we're bumblers and fumblers, but, and that's over, just giving yourself permission to understand, yes, you're not perfect, thank God. Otherwise, you wouldn't be having what's called a life. You'd be some other kind of thing. We are involved in a life. It has ups and downs, but when you start discovering these little secrets, and one of them is, yes, you're really ever only in a moment anyway, so just get good at doing those. That's a good practice, and running barefoot, nose breathing, is a very pure form of that practice. It's forcing you and rewarding you instantaneously for being in that state, and if you can carry it over to other things that you do in your life, all the better. So for those that might want to sort of touch or move into a bit of bear running footing, what couple of pieces of advice would you give them? Because you can't just take your shoes off and start running up the road. That's going to be a disaster. Yeah, you know, when I used to do this coaching, the first, the way I would approach that was I liked to uh, uh, imagine that running is kind of like a language and um then i would say let's imagine that you grew up in a village in africa that spoke a unique language and you spent the first five years of your life there and then you were taken away and you went and grew up wherever you were and now 
50 years later, we're going, or 40 years later, let's say we're going back to that village, you and I, and we're going to spend a year there. And the goal is to learn this language. Well, you're going to make quick progress compared to me. I, I don't even know the alphabet. I don't even know the sounds. You'll quickly remember the months and the dates and the yada yadas and the ball, and you're going to make some more progress than me. So if barefooting is kind of like a language, then you need to evaluate where you are. And have you seen the alphabet before? Did you even know there was an alphabet? Can you sound out the letters and so forth? I.e., what's your background before you suddenly had this as maybe the new fad of how you're going to solve every problem you've ever had in your life? Well, if you don't know the alphabet, you're probably not going to be writing Shakespeare on day one. So let's start, learn, start by coming to the best understanding of where you are in your own life and evaluate it by telling the truth to yourself. You don't have to lie to yourself. Maybe everyone else, you've got to put up a front. But you can tell yourself the truth. Where are you? What have you done? What experience do you have in this? Is your foot, is it capable? What, you know, and just sort of approach it in that way. I don't really, I mean, I have somewhere, I think on, is it on barefoottead.com? I have on my old blog some kind of thing that I just thought, okay, that's all I want to ever say about that. It's something like, so you want to start barefoot running, something like that. I think the National Geographic did a little point that, that put my, you know, barefoot Ted. And it's really simple things like, you know, pay attention, evaluate yourself properly. I mean, I don't have a set answer anymore. I mean, there's so much information out there now. It really is like overkill. Uh, but that being said, I am starting to be convinced more and more that I need to like reevaluate, coming up with a way to sort of, systematically help people i i got it that that is a kind of a goal now i hadn't thought about it for a while i just felt there's enough resources out there but now i'm starting to realize so many people are expecting me and i think rightfully so since in many cases the book born to run to inspire them tell me what you know about this and what we talked about in today's podcast is really the heart and soul of how a barefoot ted is approaching life in general I would say use those concepts you've got in today's talk to apply it to your barefoot running. Don't be too hard on yourself if you don't have the skill. In the end, just begin to find ways to ameliorate dysfunctionality in your lower extremities by helping them come back alive little by little. My biggest uh, contribution to all of this has been my sandal company, which I say we're like surfers making surfboards. We're trying to create a platform that people can run and do the adventures of their living where their foot's still splaying and they're, it, they're, it's moving, it's not heavy. It's, it's Don't just breeze over that. Talk in detail what you're talking about, the spray and uh, what you've done in creating those lunar sandals. Yeah, yeah. So it just turns out, I mean, it's not difficult to imagine, but, uh, you know, uh, apart from the fact that many of us grew up without having this experience, but if you look at the foot again and you imagine it as, as that what it's been how it came into existence and what it's capable of doing um learning how to allow it to regain functional strength so that it isn't a uh injured and sick animal but instead can come to the greatest expression of its own health and happiness 
by first and foremost reconnecting with its own self by feeling and moving on the earth in its bare state. And that's going to be, if you haven't done that for a while, or if you thought doing that might not be good for you, I suggest you reevaluate that assumption and do some self-experimenting. And one of the reasons why you want to do that is because it should be somewhat logical to understand that if indeed you are in this incredible creature that has this long history of adapting to this planet and has given you these tools and here they are, you shouldn't assume that they're broken by default, although they can easily be just like, a, you know, a human being shouldn't be a sickly animal that's not capable of doing all kinds of things. But if you feed it poison and you, you know, uh, uh, keep it from expressing, it's going to, you know, you could say, well, human being, if you took a, a, a cohort of living Americans right now and you said, here's human beings, and some aliens are looking at them and go, oh, my God, this Poor creatures, put them out of their misery, really. Whereas we can say, no, 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 hold on, look, we have this history and yada, yada, and here's some people that have blah, 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 and it's like, oh, okay, oh, maybe there's some hope. What do you do? Well, Christopher McDougall wrote a new book recently. It's called Running with Sherman, and it's a story about what you do. He finds a donkey. The poor donkey has been cooped up in a barn has grown out its toenails to the point where it can't even stand on its own feet. It's constipated from not being able to move and it's about ready to die. And somehow his daughter has a tear in her eye and it's like, we gotta do something, daddy. And he does something. And it's a remarkable turnover story where a creature that is literally ready to die because it's been done everything wrong by simply starting to do what's right it recovers and lives another day. If that's you out there in the audience, <laughs> you know, this is almost like a tent revival, then maybe you should consider to take into consideration the fact that you're a human being and maybe, maybe if you just start moving and eating and being more like your ancestors require you to be, you'll find that it's worthwhile to be in that body that you're inhabiting and it might reward you with the feeling of well-being that makes you want to stick around. Give it a try. It's free. Ted, that was absolutely excellent. Everything I hoped for and more. Such a, like, I'm over an island and you can feel your positive energy coming through the laptop, for flip's sakes. Nice. Well, I guess there's nothing to complain about that. So, look, I look forward to uh, you getting this out there and... Um, I, 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 I took your podcast on because I really think I need to start sh sharing some of these insights I've gained now, and particularly with people like you who are looking for, you know, uh, people who are out there who have been inspirational. And I know some people, I've been, I've been getting that feedback from other people. And so I want to share what I've discovered now. And so I thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, share my story. I really appreciate it. Because what we're starting to learn is, you only know what you know. And we're coming to that age in life where we've realized we don't know anything. We've been conditioned all our entire lives. So now we're looking for that inspiration and guidance. And hopefully people before us can pass it back and that we can pass it back to the people behind us. And then it's a beautiful world. Uh, that's the, hey, look, 
it really does work that way, and we've been doing it for so long. It really is, thankfully, it really is a very natural human experience to want to share and to uh, uh, feel like you can contribute. Uh, but it all starts with you got to take care. You've got to learn how to do the best you can to take care of yourself first. Because if you don't do that, you don't really have any. Because that it ultimately, when you said walk the talk, it's like that ends up becoming your greatest tool. If you want to do good, start with yourself and show by example, because that's what you ultimately want to find. Because you don't want to just like find where somebody else is suffering as much or more than you. And it's like you haven't got the airbag on yet. Now you're trying to help that guy, and that guy's like pushing you away because they're. It's like no, if you can get it so that you're living the life that is benefiting you first and then outward, people will want to be like that. That's how you know. That's how it is. And and that way you're not like some pontificating, you know, do as I say do and not as I do do kind of person. Which is God Almighty, we're sick and tired of that. I, We've been barraged with that endlessly. Yeah, I've got to say, my own saying is, listen to everybody, follow no one. I love it. Perfect. Yep, I agree. We'll finish on that. Thanks very much, Ted. We're going to, I'll release this tomorrow and I'll send you a link. Perfect. Peace out, brother. Thank you, Robbie. Cheers. There you have it, folks. Barefoot Ted, flowing with positive energy. You can actually find this interview on our YouTube channel. Just search The Inspirational Runner and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on any future podcasts. I'd just like to thank everyone who has donated to the podcast to help us subscribe to a better platform, which will improve sound quality and reduce editing time. It's really appreciated. If you're enjoying the podcast, why not donate £10 on the attached link to help maintain the subscription costs over the next two years. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, iTunes, all those places, or on our Facebook page. Just search for The Inspirational Runner and subscribe. Hope you enjoyed listening to The Wise One as much as I did. Until next week, stay safe and keep on moving.